Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. It is great fun to be able to welcome to the show the co-author. We've already had Christina Couch here, and now Kara Gaimo is here. She's the co-author of Detector Dogs, Dynamite Dolphins, and More Animals with Super Sensory Powers. The, the title gives you the sense that it's a children's book, and it's incredibly delightful. Photographs and great, great illustrations. I mean, they should be a book on their own. And so chock full of information and sidebar information. I think it's a great book for adults. Me as an adult, I just loved it. It brought to life so many amazing things that animals can do. And Kara, one of the things that I understand you really zeroed in on was special delivery pigeons. And I think it's so interesting because it isn't just what pigeons can do and what they've done historically for men and women in carrying messages, but how they do it. How did you fall on them as an area of expertise for yourself? Were you already really interested in them or they just popped out at you one day? Yeah, so for this book, we were really looking for examples of animals that are currently, you know, you might say employed by different <laughs> people or small businesses. And so uh, I knew of this business in Colorado that uses homing pigeons to deliver messages. It's actually a whitewater rafting company. They've used these pigeons in a number of different ways over the years. But I thought it was really cool because I already knew that there's this history of people using pigeons to deliver messages. And now, obviously, we have, you know, more efficient ways to do that over very long distances. But the fact that uh, there are corners of the world where pigeons are still the preferred um, messaging service was really intriguing. So I was excited to get to look into that. I loved the history of it. I loved that um, there was a, a, a time and place when they were considered the first airmail. And there were two competing Pigeon Express service providers, and that it, it was that in New Zealand, I think. In the in the chapter, I think it says that in New Zealand, in 1897, the Great Barrier Island had a pigeon-based postal service, and that's how people communicated with the mainland. It's like yeah. this is amazing. They actually had flocks that did this for their living, so to speak, or as you would say, for their profession. 
And (laughs) the other really cool thing is Reuters, particularly to people who live in Europe, Reuters is considered the premier news service in Europe, or, or certainly was the whole time that I was growing up and living there. And I never really thought of a person founding it in Aachen, Germany, which a Mr. Reuters did. And he used pigeons sort of as the first ticker tape. They took stock prices between Berlin mm-hmm. and Paris. How did you find all these things? You just sort of started digging and carrier pigeons flew out of various books? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, pigeons have this really long history of being um, utilized in this way by people. Um, and I, it was really important for me to get things right because I think there's actually a lot of rumors flying around about the use of pigeons. I really tried to drill down and make sure that everything I included in here was pretty well supported. But um, it's just they've been a part of our lives like in lots of different cultures for so, so long. There are a lot of really great examples to choose from. And the very different cultures. What are the rumors that you wanted to squash? Of course, now I'm being a rumor monger because now I'm asking <laughs> people. But it's important for us to know if things are being said that are untrue or malign pigeons or pigeon keepers or something, what are the rumors? <laughs> no, no, I didn't see that much maligning, but it's just more like, I think things just get lost in translation, especially over sometimes, you know, hundreds or thousands of years. It's hard to blame anybody, but um, <laughs> you know, people might say, Oh, you know, the first pigeon to ever be used did X, Y, and Z. And then it's hard to trace that back to a primary source. You know, it's like a big game of telephone. So no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool, interesting pigeon info, um, and I had a good time, you know, contacting experts and just trying to make sure that everything I ended up including was was fairly solid. And it was really interesting because it was really every kind of culture, Eastern, Western. It was interesting. Now I understand why Rocky Mountain Adventures is in the book because you wanted to focus, as did your co-author when we talked about whale poop and the, and the dog who could find it, <laughs> in companies that were using animals and their brilliance right now in real time. I was curious about these people on whitewater rafting. Apparently it was this enormous urgency that they get the film developed before they went (laughs) home. Can you explain that to me, why these people couldn't wait for an envelope back in the days when people (laughs) used film that could get developed? Was this just like a cute thing or were people really that desperate to have pictures of themselves in a canoe? I I just need to know if if you know the answer to that. (laughs) I don't know the official answer. I didn't really end up asking them about that. But I think the impression I get um, with the pigeon use in general is like it's so interesting that at different periods in history, like I've been alive for 33 years. I'm really used to super fast message transmission, like even across the entire world. But for a long, long time, if you wanted to get a photo to like your sister or if you wanted to get a message to like your fellow military general or whatever, a pigeon was legitimately the fastest way to do that. And it's really, really cool to think about that. So I think that was just true for the rafting in general. They thought, you know, we can do this sort of fun little thing with pigeons. We can teach people about pigeons' amazing abilities and we can, you know, send them home with a photo. So So it was part of a wildlife thing too, that people could learn more about the miracles of nature. And you talk about their speed, which was um, amazing to me, 70 miles an hour. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, there are also also racing pigeons. We didn't get that into that in the oh. book, and it's less and less common, and there's more and more, you know, opinions about how nice that is to the animals, but they're definitely really, really fast. Oh, so is that one of the reasons that people keep pigeons as a hobby? You know, back in the day, you'd see them in old movies, like, I don't know, Kirk Douglas or somebody would have, mm-hmm. and that's the wrong 
movie star of the time, but somebody would have pigeon coops on the on the roof of the New York tenement, and it would show his humanity, and he'd have his pigeons and send them hither and yon. Mm-hmm. Um, is that one of the reasons that people today keep carrier pigeons or homing pigeons? Is it for racing purposes? I honestly have no idea the status of pigeon racing culture in America or, you know, the legality of it at this point. I really don't know. But I do know that, yeah, in the past, it's definitely something that people did. And then other people, you know, people have always liked to keep pigeons. I actually learned something interesting the other day that I didn't even know while writing the book, which is that one of the first photographs ever taken in history was of a pigeon coop. (laughs) No. How nutty is that? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And then you talk yeah. about the science because the book Detector Dogs, Dynamite Dolphins, and More Animals with Supersensory Powers is about supersensory powers that we now have sophisticated drones and all kinds of fancy stuff made by man. But you talk about the magnetic field and how pigeons make a mental map from sensory notes. So to talk a little, if you could, because you are a science writer with a degree from MIT or some amazing place, right? You actually have a degree from MIT in science writing. I just didn't know there was such a thing. It's so impressive. How do magnetic fields work or how do they work for a pigeon? Yeah, so I will do my best on this, this was one of the most confusing things that I good. I'm glad it. I'm, I'm glad that, that I've given you this task. But you know what? It's great because it helps people realize the depth of the book. I mean, it has a fun, jolly, kid-oriented kind of cover. But there's so much totally. things to learn in it for all of us. So, do go on and and whatever the best yeah. you can do is certainly good enough. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So, as we all know, you know the Earth contains metals like iron. Um, a lot of metals have an inherent property of magnetism where they have a North Pole and a South Pole. And because of that, the Earth itself has a magnetic North Pole and a South Pole, as anyone who's used a compass can attest to. The ah, little right. on your compass is going to point north because it's actually experiencing a magnetic attraction. Um, and so there's something about pigeons that allows them to tap into that information as well. So they know where north and south is, or they at least can kind of feel or sense the magnetic fields that crisscross the entire earth. And so when they're trying to figure out what pigeons can do, it's not like they can navigate anywhere. It's not like you can tell them, you know, please go to target for me and they'll go. Right. They just know how to get home. So they spend a lot of, you know, mental energy, presumably, and time like figuring out where their home is. And then if they're taken somewhere else, they can get back there, whether that's because they can tap into these magnetic fields, or some people think they might also use visual cues or smell. Most people think they use a little bit of everything, just like we do when we navigate, different sources of information. But the magnetic sensing thing is really cool because it's not something that humans really know how to do. So it makes them really unique. So when we talk about those stories, apocryphal or real, about the Disney movie of the three animals that walked across America to get to their people, whatever that I loved that movie. Right? Yeah. It was a Homeward really good book. Bo- Homeward yeah. Bound. There you go. Great movie. And it was a wonderful movie and I think first a wonderful book. But we do hear stories of cats who want to go back to the home where they lived because cats are very territorial. So the, the people yeah. move and, oh, my God, the cat is lost. He got run away. And then they go back to their old house, which – by the way, the cat had no sensory information because he rode there in a carrier in a car or something. Right. And he right. finds his way back to the old house. Or dogs, <laughs> the same, lost, you know, on a journey or the people are gone and then the dog is gone and weeks go by and hundreds of miles and the dog finds his way. 
Yeah. I wonder, do do you think all dogs in theory have it, but maybe not dogs overbred by people to just be buddies to us? Or is it just individuals in other species? I know this is just guesswork on our part, but it's it's so yeah. interesting that the pigeons have it as a built-in yeah. ability, but it has to be taught to them from youth. They're taken, as the book describes, from the place they need to go back to and then released at further and further distances and just go figure it out. It's like being thrown in the deep end. But for yeah, them, it's yeah, okay. Sure. They've got the, the ability. What do you think about dogs and cats and that ability? It's a really great question. It's actually something I've been thinking about because I have cats and I take them outside, um, supervised, and let them wander around. And nice. we moved to a new apartment um, fairly recently, and so they're learning the territory. And, you know, I'm letting them explore a little bit and trying to notice where they go and how long it takes them to come back. Um, and you can, I can kind of sense that they're trying to figure out, you know, how everything fits together, whether that's through smell or sight or just, like, feeling different textures or what have you. Um, we do know that there are other animals that experience a magnetic sense, including um, everything from sea slugs to potentially turtles to naked mole rats. Um, and they all use these in different ways. Um, for example, mole rats are usually blind, so they need the magnetic sense more than many species in order to find their way around. And some people have actually sort of suggested, some experiments have suggested that humans technically maybe can sense magnetic fields like our brains respond to the changes it's just we don't have the rest of that sensory apparatus that we would need to tap into that information and use it ourselves so it's possible that it's a pretty deep-seated ability in you know living things and that we've just sort of lost access to it think of horses it just occurred to me the famous the horse will go back to the barn it doesn't matter right. if the horse has never been on the trail or the ride or the place if you just drop the reins, so to speak, or you get dumped or the horse gets loose, he will know how to get back to the barn. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it must be many sensory things, but there's got to be some internal mechanism that sends him home in that same way. Sort of yeah, never stopped you know. to think what it was, though. It's almost <laughs> like if you get lost on a trail ride, you can just loosen the reins and turn them in what you think is the direct direction and the horse will go back to the barn. So how does the horse do that? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, really we have to drop cause... crumbs, right? We have to drop cookie crumbs or whatever <laughs> right. you see in a right. in a child's book, and follow the crumbs or make marks on trees or something to find your way back, because we are not totally. aware of our abilities. Right. I have a really bad sense of direction, so these pigeons are really impressive to me. In particular, <laughs> but I wonder. I think I do too. But I wonder if it's just that it's something we've never allowed to emerge. I don't think I'm a very good musician. I'm pretty sure I'm not. But I suppose if I were given more lessons than I had the cursory piano lessons as a child, maybe everyone has all kinds of innate abilities. We just, they atrophy from non-use, from totally. non-exploration. Whereas these yeah. pigeons are, this is, this is what they're bred to do. And as you explain in the book, the good ones, the ones who are really good at finding the way home, they're bred to others who are really good at flying the way home, and they're fast. Yeah. So yeah. it's a cool combination. And and it used to be during World War One that they would send messages from trench to trench. Now, that's curious because that isn't their home, yet they did it. So that was something different. They were taught to do something different, right? Was it to go to a handler or a cage that they knew what yeah. the cage felt like? 
I think it was to go to, you know, a coop that they were used to. So that's a really interesting question and something I wish I had asked, like how long it takes a pigeon to decide that somewhere is home. Like, you know, obviously you're born in a nest, but maybe, you know, you end up living somewhere else. I don't know how long it takes for them to sort of reset that sense of home. I'll have to follow up. Maybe we can do a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, because that's a really interesting question. I mean, I guess that's what I love about the book is that it delves into many things and puts your mind in many directions and makes you curious. And I mean, what what do you, what more do we want of a book than to make us go have an oh wow factor? Oh wow, really? <laughs> they did that, you know? And then yeah. what else could they do? And how about this other thing? I think it it stimulates us to become more curious and, and more engaged than just think, oh yeah, I've heard of carrier pigeons and never give it a second thought. It's quite miraculous. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I, you know, think and write and read about animals all the time. It's my job. And I'm constantly just amazed at all of the things that they can do and all the ways they experience the world that we might not really, like you said, think twice about if we're just kind of taking it for granted. Yeah, and I must just say to all the pigeons I've eaten over the years, because in Europe, pigeons are often on the menu, especially in France. I'm really sorry. I know you weren't (laughs) homing pigeons, but now, you know... The more you learn, the more you're like, I'm really sorry. I ate anything but a plant all my life. But especially these pigeons. plants are pretty incredible, too, to be fair. Oh, God, (laughs) don't start with that. But, you know, they call them, they call them, I don't know, park rats or something, all the pigeons that are in Central Park and places. They're not. They're they're doing interesting and important things in the world. Carol, we've run out of time, but the book is so wonderful. And all the all the ways in which you contributed to it, pigeons at the top of the list, are great. Detector dogs, dynamite dolphins, and more animals with super sensory powers. If you have a smart kid or you have a kid you want to be smarter, it's a wonderful book. But if you want to be smarter, it's a great book for grown-ups too. Thank you again to you and Christina and your marvelous illustrator. What a great book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon. <laughs>